the what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> the talkative areas. I am quite the loud mouth. I talk a lot. I love to talk. Talking is what I do. It's my favorite thing to do. I am your host and the professional venter. My name is Nicoletta. On my podcast, we talk Triggers, about all things mental health. health. Where do we get help? Who do we call? <laughs> Oh my gosh, I really need to work on my intro. Uh, welcome to the second episode of the Talkative Aries. And a uh, quick recap, uh, we released our first episode, uh, I think a Monday ago or so, two Mondays ago. Yeah, I think it's two Mondays ago because the initial idea is to post every two weeks. So yeah, it should be two Mondays ago. We launched, it was late due to so many hiccups and so on but we delivered and we thank god monday we thank god so uh here we are episode two it's taken a lot of brainstorming it's it's really it's like it's given me time to reflect because i think it actually hit me when i was planning for this episode that the more i go on with this the deeper we dig into my own life, the deeper we dig into a listener's life, the deeper we dig into life at large. And that on its own is a bit scary, but at the same time, it's a sense of relief because uh, not only are we tackling important issues, but we're putting a voice to it. And that's the whole concept behind this podcast. So that being said, um, let's dive into it. Uh, 10th of October, very, very important day for me. I don't know if other people can relate, but yeah, it's a very important day for me because it's mental, world mental health day. So, uh, people around the world take to collaborating this day. There's, I think people march, uh, people have conferences, people take to social media. Uh, I remember Twitter had the hashtag world mental health day. Uh, there was the hashtag mental health awareness and there was the green ribbon and so on. So, uh, first things first, I'll rewind to last year. Yeah. Last year world health, world mental health day. I took to Twitter and I told my story on how I've been battling with my mental health for a couple of years now. And it received, an overwhelming response. A lot of people could relate. A lot of people reached out. And I think from there is when I realized that I am not alone. And it's always been a case where now I want to help people who don't get help, get help. I don't know if that made sense, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, now fast forward to this year. Um, Renaissance, uh, it's a clinic. I know that they do it. They deal with mental health, uh, stuff. I hope they don't sue me for mentioning them. But anyway, I, I tend to do my therapy from there. <laughs> they collaborated with uh, Psychologists Association of Zambia, if I'm not mistaken, and some other institutions that deal with mental health. And they hosted the um, mental health conference in Lusaka. I was in attendance, and a good number of people were in attendance. And the 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 theme for the conference was let me just uh it was something to do with preventing suicide yeah let me just ah, mandini i really need to get serious it was something to do with preventing suicide let me just get the correct words so that i can dive into my story real quick 
ah, yes, there we are. A collaborative approach to suicide, to suicide prevention. So, uh, basically this conference was talking about how we could reduce suicide cases, how we can tell if someone is becoming suicidal and how we can help them and all that. Uh, I personally attended this conference because a great part of me could relate to just the whole suicide statement and talk around it. So that being said, story time. My first suicide attempt was at the age of 12. I was in grade 8 at a named boarding school. And now that I think about it, I still haven't dug deep enough to find what led me to such a dark place at such a young age. So um, I had... I, I used to get sick quite a lot in grade eight, I think grade eight to about 12. But anyway, yeah, that particular period was grade eight. Uh, so I had gone to grade eight. I was chubby. I was quite chubby. I remember very chubby. I had a very huge bust for my age. And a lot of people would tease me because uh, I think whenever I said my age and people looked at me, it never seemed to add up. So I remember being teased about how fat I was. Uh, I had pimples and my hair just stopped growing at some point. And when I look at those pictures, I even think, but it was a tough time in my life. And the bullying, the being named, like shamed and so on and so forth, body shamed and, and such just really never worked for me because I equally had some other battles I was facing mentally. I was struggling with feeling safe in a world that promises protection. I thought being a child of a single parent, I felt like I was burdening my mom. I know she would never say this. And I don't think maybe, maybe I even just overthink things. I don't know, but I started to feel like I was a burden like she would have so much going on for herself if I wasn't there and at some point my grades were slipping and she's constantly on my neck and telling me how I should pick up and then it just to me it was more of so on top of getting this person's money and they're paying your fees and they're buying you stuff you even fail you really are a burden like it just it was hard. So in between being bullied, in between being afraid, in between feeling like a burden, I just started to drift away. I just started to drift into this bubble of, I don't know. It was filled with pain. It was filled, it was filled with anxiety. It was filled with bad dreams and sleepless nights. Uh, the few times that I would fall asleep, I had bad dreams. Three quarters of the other times, I, w- I would hardly sleep. I would go days and days with two, three, m- maximum four hours of sleep. And the headaches, gosh, those I still get even till now. But the headaches were mad. I had constant headaches for a week, for two weeks. And, you know, every now and then, you're the one in the nurse's office. Every now and then, you're the one at the clinic. People just start to talk about, you just know the whole boarding school thing. So this one day, uh, I had a headache, so I didn't go to class. And I was the only one in the dorm. So everybody had gone, and I don't know. Like, to date, I don't know how that just really hit me. So 
I remember walking to my locker and the locker next to my my friend's locker. Like we used to interchange something. Some of her stuff was in my locker and the other my some of my stuff was in her locker. So I had meds in my locker. I remember I had painkillers and then she just had some random meds. I don't even know what her meds were for. And I got both her meds and my meds and I took them. And when I slept on my bed, after some time, it just didn't feel right. Like I knew what I had done. And I think at that moment in time, I really did want to die, but I felt guilty again for wanting to die. So as soon as the first person came to my room, uh, to my to my dorm. I told them what I had done, and they rushed me to the sick bay, and they called the dorm mistress, and they called the head teacher, and I was given milk, and I forgotten what else. What else? The nurse dealt with me, and so on. And I remember I was well, as soon as I was better in a better state, I was taken to the head teacher's office, and she made me write a report, and she called my mom, and. The very next day, my mom was in school. And there we were in the head teacher's office. There was my mom, there was the headmistress, and there was me. And I was asked to tell my mom what I had done. First of all, you just had a failed attempt at death. Then now you're facing your mom. And to me, a black mom is more painful than death, guys. Like, yo. I'm just there like, okay, so will she kill me? Will she beat me, then kill me? Like, you know, you just start to wonder what she'll do to you. And if anybody knows my mom, like, guys, my mom is, ooh, my mom is, hmm, I don't even have the word. I feel like disciplinarian is like the bougie way of saying it. Like, my mom would beat you. And when she beats you and asks you why she's beating you and you don't tell her why, she, she will continue beating you till you have a response. Like, she's just, my mom is just, ooh. but anyway, I love her. So, yeah. And I remember looking my mom in the eyes and she asked me why I did what I did. And I didn't have an answer at that point in time. I just kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I still don't have an answer. Like if she asked me today why, maybe I do have an answer, but I just don't have the answer she wants to hear maybe. So, I just apologized and so on. And the headmistress threatened to expel me, if I remember very well. But anyway, after a series of talks and everything, I was given a second chance. And my mom sat me down and we had a brief conversation. And I saw my mom cry. And I felt really bad because, I mean, I'm her only child. And I literally just contemplated killing myself. And not only was I being unfair to her, but I was being unfair to myself as well. Because... You know, people invest in us, and I don't just mean invest like money-wise. They invest love, they invest care, they invest their time. And we just, I don't know, for lack of a better term, I think I'd like to say when we go into this bubble of mental health funk and we become suicidal, to an extent we become selfish. And I'm not saying it's our fault entirely, but one thing we forget in that in that moment is there's so many people aside from maybe if there's a person oppressing you or there was a person that oppressed you and you continuously get this trauma we forget that the world is more than just this one person and we are robbing these other people based on this one person or we're robbing this or we're robbing people based on this one feeling or this one funk and 
at the end of the day, it's really a selfish thing to do. So, uh, yeah, fast forward, uh, I think I, I tried it again in 10th grade. That one nobody knows about. Nobody. But I attempted to drink, what was that? Bleach? Yes. Mm. Then again, at that point, what triggered me, I remember very well, was bullying. I was being bullied once again for my weight. And at that point, it was attached to, it came with a nickname. I was being called Johnny Bravo. I was chubby at the top and smaller at the bottom. And a lot of people just had this thing about making me feel so insecure about how I looked. And it really, when I think about it now, I've learned how to be very picky with my words towards people. You know, it can be the smallest of things that actually trigger other people. It could be telling someone like your nose or ichimutwe. Like you really don't know where people's insecurities lie and what push people to the edge. So it was at that point in my life where I learned that you have to be very selective with what you say to people. And it is never wrong to just, if you don't have anything kind to say, just don't say anything. Even if someone asks for your opinion, oh, do I look good? And you know, they don't look good. If you don't have the right words to say it, just, just say, just don't say anything. Just, ah, I'm, I don't know, make up a life or like, yeah, but just don't hurt people's feelings because some people are a ticking time bomb and that one trigger is all that's left to set them off. Then, um, fast forward to this year in July. So what happened that day? That day was equally a day that I just, you see the thing that the thing with mental health illness or one thing I've picked up on myself with my own situation is some days are better than others. Like you just, the days where you could have a bad dream and it literally sets the mood for your whole day. So I remember just feeling very uneasy as I was going to sleep. And I woke up the following morning and I was really low. Like I was really, really low. And I sat in my bed and I wondered why I was feeling that low. And just, it never made sense. And a friend of mine came and she asked me, are you okay? And I was like, I'm fine. And she's like, are you sure you don't look okay? And I'm fine. Then the common mistake that we tend to make is when we're having a bad day, we listen to sad songs. And there I was with my phone. Every Adele song you could think of, every sad, any sad song you could think of. I remember I even threw in um, the Puff Daddy and Faith Evans, I'll Be Missing You. Not to just to trigger that emotion of the loss of a parent because I lost my dad at a very young age. And I remember just breaking down. And as I think to myself, like, uh, why does God let bad things happen? Like, why do bad things happen to particular people? And one of the things that got to me was how I was taken advantage of as a kid by someone that not only did I trust, but someone that I actually thought would protect me. That, again, is a story for another day in an episode. But, like, as a blank statement, yes, I I wondered why I was taken advantage of at a young age. Then I wondered why, uh, like, why people struggle. I wonder why children get raped, why 
be it male or female, while women get abused, why certain women stay in marriages that just don't work. There's just so many things that went through my mind, but most of it was interrelated to things I've been through. Why there were times I felt I wasn't smart enough when I knew I was. Why there were times I felt I wasn't good enough even for my mother. It could be maybe by a comment she passed. Maybe she passed it in good intention. But to me, it just felt like maybe I'm not good enough for this person. And I started to wonder, like, does God really have favorites? And I think I mentioned it in the previous podcast. Like, there are people that actually have a smooth sailing life. And then there's those of us that have to struggle and struggle. It's like every time you break down the brick wall that was in front of you, as you're heading to the finish line, another one erects from nowhere. And it's one step after the other and you're struggling and you're toiling. And I remember having all those thoughts and I broke down. And I said to myself, you know what? I'm tired. And I got pills and I was so ready. Once again, I was so ready to take those pills. But then again, because I think now that I'm older, I realized that it was selfish. So it was a 50-50 situation. I was really telling myself, should I, should I do this or should I, should I hold on? And you know, now that I think about it, I think I've used a statement so many times. Now that I actually do think about it, I didn't want to die. I just, wanted reassurance that I will get better someday because now my biggest problem was had some of those bad things not happened to me, I wouldn't be battling with my mental health. But I needed reassurance in that particular time that I would get better and I don't have to depend on my meds for so long. I don't have to depend on my therapist for so long. So I called I texted a friend of mine and I told him what I was about to do. And this person called me and he spoke to me and he ran me through every possible encouragement and not just the letters praise. And the one thing he said to me was, do you want to get help? And you see, he didn't choose to criticize me and say, Hey, you want to kill yourself? Hey, what, what, what? He saw that as a cry for help. And I said, yes, I do. And he says, okay, we'll get you help. And he did just that. No sooner did that call end that a therapist called me. And this person spoke to me. He's like, I know you've never met me. I know you probably won't want to trust me, but I just want to help you. And because of the distance between the facility uh, where the therapy was scheduled to be done and where my school is, This therapist dedicated his time to calling me for an hour session as often as I needed it. And we would talk and he would poke my mind, literally. He would give me all these tests and assignments and say all these things in our sessions that just... Sometimes they pushed me to the limit, but I understood where it was coming from. And one of the things I remember in the first session I had with with my therapist on call, he asked me why I relapsed. And I was like, I don't know. And we started to dig deep inside. One of the reasons I relapsed was I started slacking on taking my meds. I literally just stopped taking my meds at a point point. 
one of the reasons I had relapsed was because I hadn't gotten rid of the anger inside me, which anger again is a topic for another day. But there was that one of the things I, I hadn't dealt with was confrontation of the people that I felt played a role in not protecting me when I needed it. One of, there were so many things that were around it that caused my relapse, but I didn't see that. All I saw was, I am tired. So, you know, when certain times when people do what they do, when they're throwing around hints of suicide, we usually tend to criticize them. No, you're attention seeking. No, shani. drama. Sometimes it's merely a cry for help. Because maybe they are telling you they need help and you're not listening. Or they're telling you they need help and you are giving them the wrong help. And I've, I've, I've heard of instances, I've even come across instances where somebody's telling you guys, I think I am tired. Like nothing seems to be going right in my life and so on. And you come and tell them, or everybody has a bad day. And maybe when that person tells you, you know, that's really not the sort of advice I'm looking for. And you flip on them. But you know, people are genuinely drained. People are genuinely battling with things. So now you people wait for them to reach their maximum limit. And then now they start to contemplate taking their lives because they're really now just tired. And then not do you, at that point, we even fail to see that they really need genuine help. It's like they like attention. Like this person is tired of dropping hints and nobody's picking it up. I'm not saying it's right. But what I'm trying to say is sometimes it gets exhausting to the core. And you really just feel like there's nothing left for me. I've prayed. I've drank meds. Even now, that, that's why, that's why I got to my point. Like, okay, I pray. I remember even calling my mom and asking her to say, okay, so we pray. I pray, you pray, and I don't know who else prays for me. I've been taking meds for, I think, three years now. I've done therapy. I still do therapy time and time again, but I still feel stuck. You know what I mean? And sometimes, you just really need people to listen. You don't need them to talk back. Yes, there are times when it's necessary for someone to talk back, but there are times where you just need people to listen, just just to hear you out, you know? But we've become so engaged in our own lives that we forget to check on the next person. It's a pattern, when I check on you, you have, hopefully you get the same vibe to check on the next person and so on and so forth. It doesn't have to get to a place where, oh no, that person did this, we should have been there. When that person was dropping hints, sometimes it's, it's, it's right in front of us. It's the statuses our friends are putting up. It's the songs they're listening to. It's the comments they pass. Sometimes these things, these, these hints are in the sm- slightest of, of our, of our everyday being. It's in a change in their behavior. 
maybe this person is eating too much or this person is eating too little. This person suddenly alikwata mood. mood This person is moody. Hey, today she wakes up happy. Hey, today she wakes up sad. Have you ever sat down with this person and genuinely asked them what's going on? And then now that people are actually I think reading surfacely on mental health, hey, bipolar, like, okay, doctor, since you're out here diagnosing that these people are bipolar, have you asked them why they behave bipolar? No. We're so quick to judge the next person. We don't give them room to speak. And that's one of the reasons why people just shut into this egg. And when it reaches the worst number, and then now we're going to say, yeah, so, and then, you know, this is, this is the very, I don't know if I can say classic part of it. When a person commits suicide, then now people start going back to Ungani, their timeline on Facebook and start taking screenshots. And now you see the hints. When the person is gone, when the person is harmed, then the hints are clear. But on a natural day, this person is attention seeking, which is very unfair, honestly. So, uh, I guess today I really just wanted to talk about that. I want to talk about how do we prevent suicide in our communities, in our homes, around us. What are we doing? Are we the friend that helps other people or are we the friend that triggers other people? What are we saying to the people that open up to us? Better yet, what are we saying about them? What are you doing to help the next person? What are you doing to help yourself? Because it's also a you factor. One thing I learned and I still learn every day is you only get better when you face your demons. And it's never easy. It's really never easy. But yeah, suicide prevention. What are we doing about it? Are we laughing at the people that seek attention on social media? Are we commenting under their statuses and telling them to grow up, telling them they are dramatic, telling them it will pass? What are we really doing? Personally, I think a little more of such posts, podcasts, talks here and there, checking in on my friends every now and then, I think I'm that one person who, when I see someone post, post a status on my, on my WhatsApp or something, and it sounds worrying, I think, what's wrong? At the end of the day, some of them maybe even think, like this person really likes to gossip, but I'm genuinely just, I can't help the whole world, but I will help those that are closest to me and hopefully they can help the next and the next. And someday probably it would be the whole world. What are we doing to prevent that? Thank you. The talkative areas. On my podcast, we talk about all things mental health, triggers, help. Where do we get help? Who do we call? 